Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Matters, your go-to source for the latest industry news and insights. We bring you up-to-date information on the real estate market and discuss the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to help you make informed decisions. And now, we invite you to join us as we explore the exciting world of commercial real estate. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Commercial Real Estate Matters. I'm your host, John Powell, with Phoenix Commercial Properties based here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm honored to have a colleague from our office join me today. Liz Arcos is a highly respected and valued tenant rep in our region. Her diverse background of business and real estate have afforded Liz a wealth of experience, which she passes on to her clients each day. She's been on both sides of the negotiating spectrum as a landlord and a tenant representative and enjoys working with women-owned businesses, investors, and new entrepreneurs by guiding them through the process from start to finish. We are also excited to bring Liz's husband, Louis Arcos, onto the show today to discuss their newest venture into franchising as they open up the first of many own fitness studios in the Triangle. As the area representatives for the state of North Carolina, they have plans to grow on fitness by starting with their own locations around the Triangle region. Lewis and Liz, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Matters. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. We're Thank excited you, to be here. Excited. Thank you. Excellent. This is going to be great. I am picturing you guys back in Miami around the year 2000. And Lewis, you were software developer. And Liz, I think you were working for a nonprofit arts organization, as I recall. Tell our listeners what made you decide to start a business. So I think we've always been entrepreneurial by nature. I remember when I first met Liz, she was running her own production company, uh, doing shows. I remember visiting one of her shows. And I also, when I was in my, er- in my early teens, my friend and I started a computer company where we were building custom computers okay. for people. So I think it was just something that it's just been part of us. Liz? Yeah, I was working for an arts organization and have always had that bug, that spirit, and Lewis and I connected on that and decided to give it a go, take a risk, and we started, you know, thinking about different business ideas and what we wanted to do. So what motivated you to go with a franchise or perhaps even an existing brand versus creating your own unique brand? So I remember we were talking about, we wanted to be in the health space. We were looking at maybe doing uh, a smoothie shop with healthy sandwiches and that sort of thing. But as we started doing our due diligence, it was just so difficult. All the things that you have to research and figure out. And I mean, it was a bit overwhelming. So I remember mentioning to her one day, you know, why don't we look at franchising? Because then all of this is done for us and we just have to you know, pay the franchise fee or whatever is involved, but they're going to give us the tools, the systems, and yes, just okay. make this a little easier for us. Yeah, so, more turnkey than us having to create everything on our own. And that makes perfect sense because, again, you may be paying the franchise fee, as you just mentioned, but they have the platform already created for you and you really, as you mentioned, Lewis, the tools are already there for you. So how did you go about finding a specific franchise? As you mentioned, research was obviously involved, but tell us, walk us through that process. So there was a franchise expo happening in Miami Beach, and we attended it. And we explored the various 
you know, various franchises. We talked to many of them. And since we were looking at smoothies in particular, we looked at Smoothie King. We looked at Planet Smoothie. We met with them. We took a tour with them. We did. We met with Minuteman Press. We mm-hmm. toured with them. And then we also, we stumbled upon European Wax Center. And of okay. the various franchises that we explored, the European Wax Center offered what we thought for us was the best opportunity. Yeah. And I had already known about waxing in Miami. It started to grow and become a bigger trend, I guess, at that point. So I knew it was shifting to something bigger than it was. And European Wax Center has specialized in waxing. They pulled it out of the salon, out of the spas, and they only did waxing. So I thought that was really unique. And I told Lewis, let's take a chance. And we opened our first one in Miami. That was 2000, right? No, it was 2007. So around 2007, you you opened your first store and then you grew to... Yeah. So after we opened our first store in Miami, we wanted to expand. And because there was a lot of competition in Miami oh, sure. and we wanted, yeah, we wanted to move out of that area anyway, we decided to look at other states. Yeah. Um, we wanted to open like three centers. And by the time we were ready, there was already franchises that had already popped up around us. So we were locked out. We, we couldn't open anymore unless we were going to, we were willing to drive 45 minutes away, which... You know, running two small centers like that yes. and they're 45 minutes apart is kind of difficult when you're first starting out. So I can said, only imagine the difficulty of the logistics for that would be substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So we said, why don't, you know, we want to get out of Miami anyway. It's too crowded. So why don't we look elsewhere? The At that time, you know, it had just started, European Waxman had just started expanding. So there was areas available. So we looked at, we don't want to go too far north because it's cold. I don't like the cold. <laughs> and Liz at the time had a, and she still does, she has a friend that lives here in Raleigh. So we said, you know, why don't we go check out the Raleigh area? We looked at Raleigh, we looked at Charlotte. Yes. But we settled on Raleigh because it's just, Charlotte felt like Miami in a way. Okay, Not quite I can as see big, that. Big city. But it's bigger sure. than Raleigh. And Raleigh is just, it was quaint and, you know, so many trees, just beautiful place. I love it. You came from the 305 to the 919. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> But I still keep my area code. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. Liz, specifically for you, what did you learn through running a business that has really helped you transition into becoming a successful commercial broker? Yeah. So after we opened the stores here, we sold them. And because of everything we went through in terms of finding a location and site development and construction and lease negotiations, I got really interested in commercial real estate. So I got my license, started with residential, but really enjoyed commercial. I was just nervous about growing my business. And having the European Wax Centers and running a business is very similar to being a broker because you have your own business. You have to create opportunities. You have to nourish relationships. You have to grow from your one or two clients to seven to 10, et cetera, the more transactions, the better you're going to do. So I think that really helped having that retail background in commercial to kind of get started on the track that I have led to now. Well, and you have guided your clients with expertise and I know you're growing that platform as well. And we're so thankful for you at Phoenix Commercial. So we wish you tremendous success. 
And if I could add to that, John, I remember when after we had sold and Liz was trying to decide what she wanted to do, I remember saying to her, you know, why don't you look at real estate? I mean, she's always, she's had the knack for real estate. I mean, it was in her. She always knows the new stores that are opening. She <laughs> follows everybody on Instagram. I mean, back then there was no Instagram, but she right. always knew what was coming up. We'd be driving by a store and she'd say, oh, this is coming here. This is going there. And just amazing. Like, I can't, I don't know where I am in space, but for some reason she's got, she has this little map in her head. She was just, she was born for real estate. Oh, that is a wonderful testimony. And again, market knowledge, Liz, as you know, or as we know, certainly at Phoenix Commercial, that is a tremendous baseline for setting yourself up for success because really what we do is we feed our customers knowledge on a daily basis. Right. Louis, let's transition to you. How did you guys get involved in Ohm Fitness? So a few months ago, I got a text from the founder of European Wax Center. And he sent me a text said that he was involved in this new venture called Own Fitness. And he said, you know, take a look at it and see what you think. He thinks it's going to be just as big as EWC was. EWC stands for European Wax Center. So I said, EMS, I was kind of skeptical. EMS stands for Electro Muscle Stimulation. So I started doing some research, looking up studies that have been done. and. I was surprised, but all the studies were showing these benefits that were coming from EMS-type training. So I said to Liz, why don't we fly out to Arizona? That's where the corporate store is. Okay. And we'll try it out and see what we think. So we flew out there. We tried the workout. It was a 25-minute workout. You put on this three-quarter bodysuit. It has 20 nodes throughout your body. And you do this low-impact. 25-minute workout. And I got to tell you, I mean, being skeptical, I was blown away. We got back to the hotel that day, and we had already started feeling some soreness. The next morning, really? my abs were killing me. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I <laughs> haven't felt. Yes. Yeah, I, I've been working out in some form or another all my life. And I had not felt soreness like this oh my goodness. in a long time. So my biceps were sore, my abs were sore, Liz's glutes were sore, and we were like, you know, there is certainly something to this. And in 25 minutes, I mean, come on, it's, yeah. so we were sold. Yeah. So we, it was important to us, though, that we were going to be the first ones in North Carolina because we really wanted to become an area developer, which means, yes. yeah, so with European Wax Center, we had one, two, three stores, but we couldn't really expand on that. Being the area developer for the state of North Carolina allows us to have more growth than just owning a couple stores, which we will be opening a few stores in the Triangle region first. And I think we may even touch on that later, but you all can help others throughout the state to open their stores and really shepherd them through the process to help them get started. Yes. All right. Wonderful. And I think we will touch on that a little bit later. Liz, how about describe the process a broker goes through when they are helping a retail client find and secure space? Yeah. So typically I'll start a conversation with a client. We'll have, you know, 15, 20 minutes or more really just discussing what their vision is. 
what kind of business they want to open, why they want to start this business, what stage they're at, what parties are involved, and you know, if it's retail, what their target market is, their demographics that they're seeking. I ask a lot of questions and sometimes they're stumped because they haven't gotten to that point. Right. And that's kind of how I can tell where they are in the process because a lot of times they just want to go looking for locations. That's the exciting part, right? I remember. I like that. So I really need to hone in on where their budgets are. Have they created a business plan? What's their timeline? Do they have financials? Are there any partners involved? And what locations they're looking for? And just kind of get that conversation started as I qualify them. Lewis and Liz, I'll ask kind of both of you this question. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have personally faced and your clients have faced as you've tried to find them the perfect spot to place your business and or their business? Sure. I'll start and then I'll have Lewis kick in. But as a broker and working with many retail clients, lately the market has been so hot in retail that it's been really hard to find locations that are their perfect spot for their business. We kind of have to compromise a little bit because the vacancy is so low right now. And that, I think it's at an all-time low of 2% in the area, which means that 98% of the stores are occupied. Which is amazing coming off a pandemic that none of us had ever experienced. Do you yeah. remember the last time that it's been this low or has it ever been this low? In my 31-year career, I don't recall it's ever been this low. I would say probably 5% is very low. And yeah. the fact that we're below that is amazing. And it's and unique to scary. this area, too, because we've spoken to yes. other franchisees around the country, and they're seeing maybe 4%, maybe a little higher than that, but we're at 2%. It's and even 4 is low. Correct. So I'm sure two. they're struggling finding space. Yes. <laughs> Imagine what you all are faced with here in the Triangle region. Yeah. yeah. So as I explain it to clients, you know, this is not the norm, but we need to be creative and be open to different opportunities. And then once we got involved, as now I'm looking for space for ourselves, we realized the struggle and the barriers. And, you know, Lewis can touch a little bit on that too. So the biggest challenge, I think, is first deciding where you want to go, especially in retail, because if your business is dependent on let's say foot traffic or the demographics yes, in that exactly. area, then it's a little, it's a little harder to find space. Uh, if you're fortunate and that stuff doesn't matter to you, you can be in the outskirts, then it's a little easier. But in retail, you know, we're looking for high demographics or at least the retail space we want. We're looking for, for high income, very dense, good co-tenants. So those things are hard to come by. And then because it's fitness, there's also that side of it. If there's already a fitness in the center or if there's exclusivities or the size of the space, because we're a franchise, we have to go to something specific. Whereas maybe, you know, somebody who's just creating their own brand, they can be a little bit more open. And that was one of the things I thought about earlier when we talked a little bit about aligning with a franchise rather than kind of creating your own brand. Well, a franchise is really, I would think, kind of sometimes driven by the franchisor and that they probably have to approve your locations. and But they're there to help you, not deny you access to a space, but really to counsel you and help you 
And just Lewis, as you had mentioned, I would think being in a, I'm going to call it a power center, whether it be a grocery store anchored or a big box anchored, you've got that foot traffic. I would think those typically probably are the more expensive properties on the base rent side and the op expense side as well, but they're worth it to, to your platform. Okay. Liz, if you're helping a client who owns a franchise versus maybe someone that's starting their own business, how will that affect you in securing a specific location? And then what types of obstacles do your clients face in today's market, maybe outside of what we've just touched base on? Yeah. I mean, you touched on it with regards to the franchise, franchisor wanting to approve a location. So there's that side of it. But as an experienced franchisor, they're going to also add some lease addendums and some other things that okay. you don't typically have without a franchise. On the flip side, a non-franchise owner can make all their decisions. They can you know, choose to be in this location or that location, but they also don't have the history and the brand behind them. So Correct. when I'm talking yes. to a landlord's broker and I'm explaining the business, Sometimes it is helpful to have that franchise brand backing up that tenant because they've heard of them or they've seen the name. They know that, you know, that franchisor is going to be there to back them up and not starting on their own. And I think that side helps when I'm working with somebody who has a franchise. I would, I can visualize that, that the brand brings some weight to the table. And that that they may have 200 locations throughout the country, but this is the first in our great state. Or they may be on a, they maybe want to open 200 locations this year throughout the country. And here's a landlord with an opportunity to capture that first store or the second store in the triangle, so to speak. But what's unique in Raleigh and this area is a lot of landlords want to foster that local small mom and pop shop too. And they may have something against a franchise. So there's different sets of barriers that each face. And you as a broker get an opportunity to really be true counsel for someone looking at leasing space because you understand how landlords think or act, react. You understand kind of, I'll call them landlord demands, if you will, but you also understand what the tenant really requires. And so to me, I think that's really what kind of helps set you apart, Liz, and that you can bring that expert advice to when you're on that tenant rep side looking for space. Let me ask both of you, what are some common mistakes that small business owners make when negotiating a lease? I also know that y'all have an investment portfolio, so sometimes these same mistakes could be made on a purchase agreement. And maybe give our audience some ideas of how they could even be avoided. I mean, I think if you don't have experience, then having a a broker in your corner is a good thing. Some people may try to do this alone. I mean, you're going up against people who do this for a living. So it's like when you go to buy a car, right? We're not used to buying a car on a regular basis. Car salesmen, they do this for a living. So you never walk out with, you made a good deal, right? Or at even least I never f- feel like I made a good deal. <laughs> even though you feel like you got a good yeah. deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never felt like I got a good deal. Because <laughs> a landlord, similar to the car group, has their own broker who's protecting them and working for them. Exactly. That's right. And if you go out on your own without somebody representing you and loyal to you, 
you have no yeah. chance in, you know, getting some of those negotiating things off. Yeah, I would think just having someone on your side, an advocate for you. Exactly. I would love to have someone go help me buy a car. I would welcome yeah. that. Yeah. Or And you can bounce ideas off of, like, I'm thinking about this or I'm thinking about that. Right? You have somebody who has some knowledge that they can say, well, that's not such a good idea. Why don't we try this? Yeah. I think also in in our field as a broker is we have a lot more connections and you know, a customer is going to be looking online for various openings that what they're seeing is not up to date. We have software that we use. We have searches. We have email blasts with brokers. We're me, especially I know the centers. I know all the landlord brokers and I know what's coming up, what's about to run up on their lease, you know, what's going in in this location. So we have a little bit more market knowledge. And Liz, you just touched on something that Lewis, you touched on earlier, and I failed to even mention it or recognize it, and it's the importance of relationships. You were contacted about this new opportunity via a long-standing relationship, and someone who obviously thought a lot of you and Liz, and Liz, you just kind of emphasized the same thing, and that being a broker in our market, you know the men and women who represent the landlords, and you oftentimes know the landlords themselves which allows you to truly be that seasoned advisor that a client needs. And that's where, again, the importance of relationships certainly stands. Yeah, and the experience that comes with having a broker in your corner. So when we were looking for spaces initially, Liz reached the, out to... The Wax Center? Oh. No, when we were looking for oh, her studio sorry. space, Liz reached out to some of the brokers that she knows, and we were able to find out, hey, there's a potential space coming available that you wouldn't have seen if you were just doing an internet search or looking in LoopNet or whatever because it wasn't listed yet. But because she has those relationships, it was helpful. And one of the things I will admit and say it every day, I love an off-market deal. Yeah. yeah. And here, <laughs> because of your relationships, as Lewis is emphasizing, you're talking to a landlord rep or a fellow broker with another firm about this opportunity. I don't have a space for you yet. But you know what? I've got one coming. I love your concept. We'd love to have you all be in our center. Let's go ahead and begin some dialogue. Right. Even though that space may be coming available in six months or a year. And that's the importance of really what we do here locally. Yep. Liz, what are some negotiation strategies that small business owners can use to achieve favorable lease and or purchase terms? So because the market is hot right now. A lot of times landlords do have the upper hand. So as a broker, we really want to be creative on some of the terms, find out what's important to the landlord, what's important to my client, and really come to a common ground so that everybody's going to be happy in that term because you're committing to something for such a long time. So maybe having a longer term as opposed to a shorter term asking for a smaller amount of TI, tenant improvement mm -hmm. allowance, and keeping the rate, maybe adjusting that annual increase. And I don't want to give away too much because that's what I, <laughs> that's what I do for a living. The but secret sauce. The secret, yeah. There's a lot of different things you can do, and it's not as cut and dry as what a landlord may propose. 
And I think just being negotiation and the art thereof, and that really everything is negotiable from rate to annual escalations to those improvement dollars to occupancy dates to term. But it really is an art, and it really needs to be one of the things I think that 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 you and our colleagues at Phoenix Commercial are so gifted at is providing strategic solutions to their clients. And they're and. Sometimes it's a lot like being a parent. You got to pick your battles mm-hmm. and maybe right. stand firm on this one, but we will give on yeah. that one. And it just, it, it all works out. I'll ask kind of both of you, what advice do you have for small business owners or franchisees who are just starting out and may not be familiar with their local commercial real estate market? I like to tell my clients that one of the really important things is to be financially secure. Yeah. You need to have more money than you think you need. And with the franchise, it's a little helpful because they give you a breakdown of what things will cost from your build out to your marketing, to your staff, to your, you know, what your income might be. And they kind of give a range, but it is helpful. If you're new and you don't know any of that, you may start with this chunk of money, but realize, oh, I'm going to have to do this to this space. I'm going to have to put in this money. And then as your business starts to grow, you're not making money. So you need to be able to pay the rent and pay your employees. Pay your bills. Pay your bills. (laughs) So I think that is very important. And also, of course, creating a good business plan and really knowing where you want to be and what growth you see yourself having. I remember when we first opened the our first European Wax Center in Miami, I was contributing $8,000 a month every month because we had we didn't have enough customers to you know, we weren't at break even yet and every month I'd have to deposit $8,000 and it was a little scary and but fortunately, you know, eventually you know, we plateaued and I didn't have to do that anymore. But those first few months is, was intense. Well, and again, those are, I'm not going to call it a scar, but those are situations or memories that you'll never forget. And on, on one hand, even though you become highly successful, you don't want to forget things like that. Because again, they build character, but it, again, they have given you the determination and vision to, to hopefully put those in the rearview mirror if you will, and now it's on to be successful. Let's focus on you all. How has your search for OWN been going? What barriers or maybe even what obstacles have you run into or do you maybe continue to run into? It's been tough. (laughs) And we wanted to open our first location in Raleigh. And with that being said, we have run into a lot of obstacles, like you mentioned, with regards to fitness, maybe having a stigma around it with parking or another fitness in the center, exclusivities, some of the co-tenants or just doors being shut. And then also maybe not the right location or the size and the fit. So we had to expand our search. Our first door is not going to be in Raleigh. We're looking into Cary now and we are at the end stages of securing a spot. And that's okay because we have to kind of com- kind of compromise and we know that we'll open a second store in Raleigh and wait for something that is a perfect fit. And for our audience around the globe, Cary and Raleigh are neighborhood communities, if you will, but Raleigh's our state capital. 
And that's probably why you were driven to focus on that market. But Carrie is highly regarded as a bedroom community, if you will, but where many businesses continue to thrive. And I know you'll find exactly the right spot there. Liz, earlier you touched on being creative and searching for retail locations. And certainly in a tough market, I think creativity is probably a word that we all cling to or we all need to kind of have that tool in our toolbox. What did you mean by that? So with the vacancy being so low in retail, as well as flex and industrial, brokers need to have these strategies in place to secure something for their client. And knowing when inventory is coming up, asking brokers that they have relationships with, when current tenants may be leaving. And then most recently, I just started driving around and kind of seeing the flow of traffic in certain centers and notice if one retail location didn't seem to be doing as well or looking up to see if they had other locations and are they still open? And if they're not, why are they closing down? Could we get into that spot and calling brokers? It's just something you have to do right now. I'm a firm believer in that. I have told people for 30-something years, go get a tank of gas and go get lost. You know, learn the market by the seat of your pants, so to speak. And don't just rely on information online. You learn a lot by being out in market and seeing it with your own eyes. Things go fast. They do. And I think we tend to follow residential trends. And as houses go fast in our market, commercial space, especially retail space that you all are focusing on, that is a very similar situation. What impact has commercial real estate had on your overall business success? Well, because I'm in the industry and I know that rates have started to creep up with regards to rent and increased costs of common area maintenance at various spaces. There's mixed-use buildings, and they have a higher rent, new construction. So we really have to factor that into our operating costs. And I think that helps having that knowledge versus somebody who doesn't. And I can help explain that to my clients as well. What trends do you see in commercial estate that small business owners or even franchisees really need to be aware of? Locally, I've noticed in Raleigh that mixed use has started to pop up everywhere. Yes, that density. We're going vertical. Yes, yes. And a lot of the new construction taking place now is mixed use. So it has office and then retail and living. It's kind of that live, work, play environment. So knowing that with new construction, timeframes are going to be a little bit longer Those are some things to be aware about. Prices are going to be higher. That common area maintenance and TICAM is going up and the cost of build-outs as well. We saw one TICAM at $18 a square foot. No way. Fell over. (laughs) And we haven't been. That's a base rent square footage amount. Lewis, you're exactly right. (laughs) That was a base rent back in the good days. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hate to ask what was the base rate. Was it like 50 50, bucks? yeah. Oh, my word. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have a thought on why so much mixed use is happening right now? I mean, it's everywhere, and that's all I see. I think municipalities are maybe driving that bus, and that land is at such a premium, and they're trying to create that dense, as Liz just described, a live, work, play element within their communities. And downtown Cary or downtown Raleigh, certainly you see a number of those. A lot of the apartment complexes that we see 
they don't have that retail element. And now municipalities, I know we're working on several projects where the municipality is requiring so many square feet within that development to be dedicated to a commercial element. And so it truly is a mixed use project. But sometimes the municipality, with all due respect, they're not signing the note. They're not on the hook for the mortgage. And they sometimes I would encourage them to really embrace the development community and have these charrettes and really make sure that they're planning these projects in the right spots because they could be forcing something into the box and then it could be an empty box down the street, down the road. So are they incentivizing developers to do this? You think not to my knowledge, giving them any incentives. I think they're there, there's even residential developments like in Apex, for example. And again, I love the peak of good living, <laughs> but there are residential projects that they require X percent of the overall project to be dedicated to commercial. And on the same token, I know a project in Chapel Hill that was built years ago and they followed the requirement and the first floor of the apartment complex has to be commercial. It is four or five, six years old. To this day, the commercial spaces are vacant. Wow. And they built it and said, we'll dedicate it to commercial. And I think they put some fitness equipment down there as an amenity to the complex, but they haven't leased out any of the other in it. And I don't know if it's willful or if it was just, you know, to get the project done. But again, they met the town code. Liz, I know you are passionate about helping women-owned businesses grow their platforms and their brands. Share with our listeners why you have felt led to make this such a priority. I feel like I connect with women and I get really excited about working with somebody who's creating something that they have a passion for. And a lot of my past clients just happen to be women-owned businesses and I kind of gravitate towards that because I'm that way and I enjoy you know, starting something new and then moving on to the next thing and creating something new and growing it. And I just love helping women with their new businesses, whether it's, you know, opening an ice cream shop or a hair salon or a vet, yeah, vet boarding, dog boarding situation. Which it's you've just, done all of those recently. Yeah, so kudos. it's exciting to work with them from start to finish and then see them grow and do well. Well, and I think that is such a wonderful mission and focus and a great way to set yourself apart. And I know that those end users and those clients that you have had, I've seen the Google reviews and they are very thankful for your dedication and for your wisdom. Lewis and Liz, thank you again for spending some time with us on Commercial Real Estate Matters. As our time today comes to a close, how can our audience find you and follow you online? Well, for Ohm Fitness, they can go to the website, which is ohmfitness.com. And if they're interested in franchising opportunities in North Carolina, they can check out the website as well or email franchising at ohmfitness.com. And for me, as an advisor, I'm with Phoenix Commercial Properties, and they can check out our website as well. Lewis and Liz, thank you again for taking time to really share with us the exciting news about your new venture with Own Fitness. And Liz, thank you for just your wisdom and the way that you handle yourself and you've set yourself apart. I'll say in a very young portion of your career, you've had tremendous success by being a tremendous tenant rep and providing expert counsel to your advisors. And we wish you all 
Nothing but success in the new venture. And we can't wait to be at the ribbon cutting for the first store, whether it be in Cary or Raleigh or in one of our neighboring cities. And we look forward to watching you grow your platform across this great state. I can't wait to see you in a suit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Absolutely. Y'all have a great day. And we look forward to spending more time with you soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Commercial Real Estate Matters. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the latest trends and news in the industry. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. Please consider following us on social media or subscribing to this podcast to stay up to date on all the latest news. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you.